Well, this is a time of year where we're committing. This is the time for a lot of people where they're committing to something, starting something new, getting things back on the right track, uh, beginning to put focus on something that, hey, I haven't put as much focus there as I needed to, so this year I'm going to change that. And so, uh, you know, a lot of gyms are pretty full right now. For the next 30 days, they'll probably be pretty full. And um, signing a lot of gym memberships, probably a lot of people going to banks and opening up savings accounts. I'm going to save more money this year. Probably some people beginning to look at ways to, you know, do better with their career, with their job, how they're going to do better as a parent with their families. And um, uh, so this is something that I felt we wanted to start the year off with, to start the year off right. And so I'm starting a series and um, I, I really project that it can go out for a while because I want to be very methodical. I want it to be very planned out. I want it to be uh, very um, informative. Uh, and I want to start a series called My Church. My Church. And so what I need you to do is everything you think you know about church, everything you have known about church, I want you to go ahead and get it all out of your brain right now. Go ahead and get rid of it all. Whatever you thought church was, however you thought church was supposed to work, however they did church when you grew up, and the songs that they played, and and how the how long the pastor preached, and what a church building looked like, and go ahead and get rid of all the traditional stuff. Jesus had to do the same thing with the Pharisees. He had to show up and say, hey, this is how you used to do it, but this is how I do it. I've come to bring you a new law, a new commandment, a new way of looking at things. And so um, we're going to do this series called My Church. I think it's going to be very eye-opening. I think today we'll just hit it right off the bat, and I think you'll see some things uh, about the church, what the church is. Um, but, um, you know, we've ended the year talking a lot about the church being the hope of the world. We are the light of the world. We are the answer for a lost world. But we won't be the answer if we don't know who we are. Um, you can't help anybody when you're in an identity crisis. You can't help anybody else. You can't help get anybody else anywhere if you don't know who you are and where you're going. So I want to take this time um, over these next several weeks. Um, it could possibly even go into February um, talking about his church, not just the church or a church, but his church. And um, I also want to take time for us specifically to begin to cast some vision um, this year, to begin to lay out why we're here, why is Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, what are we going to do in this community, what are we going to do in this town, what are we going to do in our state and in our nation, around the world, how are we going to begin to impact those things. And so um, I don't want you, I, I want to encourage you as much as you can to be here. Um, these messages will tie together, they'll run right into each other, and um, it's going to be very important that if we accomplish what God wants us to do in this year, 2013, that we grab a hold of this as a church. Um, church is not a one-man show. This isn't about me, um, and this isn't about what I'm here to do. This is about what we are all here to do in this town and in our communities and where we live. So um, just want to encourage you with that. I can't compel you enough to... Um, Try to be here as much as you can. Um, so let's look at this here in Matthew chapter 16. And uh, let's start with verse 18. 
verse 18. We've read these verses quite a bit, but we're going to read them again. Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is the first time, really one of the only times, that Jesus even mentions the church. Um, uh, A lot of times he talked about a house, he talked about a people, but here he's talking about a church. And the word church, first of all, isn't actually a churchy word. The word church actually came from a Greek word, ecclesia, or ecclesia, however you want to pronounce it. And that word meant a group of called out ones, people that were called out. They were to look different. It actually was a government term that the Greeks had given to their senate, and they were, they, they were a group of people that were called out to help make decisions and help be uh, you know, a catalyst in their community and their government and their environment. So the church is a group of people that should be called out. We know Jesus talked about us talked about himself as being in the world, but not of it. And that is exactly who we are. That's exactly what we're supposed to be. We are supposed to be a people that are in a thing, in a thing, but not of the thing. Meaning we're in it, but we don't become what we're in. Because you don't change what you're in by becoming it. You change what you're in by being different. Okay? When we get into our jobs, when we get into our families, you have to bring in something that's not affected by the outside surroundings to cause it to change. If it becomes if it becomes changed by what it's going into, then it will affect nothing. In fact, the, the effect is opposite, and what you went into changed you rather than you changing it. Okay? So we're to be a called out group. Jesus is looking for a royal priesthood, a holy uh, nation, a chosen generation. We are a people that should not be looking like the surrounding environment by the world, okay? The, cha- the world is what we're supposed to be changing on a daily basis. So that's the word church. But I want to notice, uh, if you go back to verse 18, um, I want to look at a few different statements here, a few different words here, and this is kind of where we're going to build off of because uh, the title of this series is My Church. And um, when I say my church, I don't mean my church as in, oh, that's Pastor Mark's church. This isn't even your church as in, oh, that's the church I go to. But when Jesus uses the word my here, this is actually not the type of my word that we uh, are used to using in our own context. When we say my, we're thinking possessive. That's mine, belongs to me. One of the first things we learn as little kids is what belongs to us and what doesn't belong to us and what we want to belong to us. And so we call it mine, even though it might not be ours, because that's mine. I possess that. It belongs to me, right? Well, that's not the word that Jesus is using here. This is actually a Greek word that doesn't mean my as in possessive. It means my as in being a part of, connected to. That takes it to a whole other level because not only now is it my truck because I own it and I drive it, but it's my arm. It actually belongs to me and is attached to me. And it's 
not a coincidence that Jesus used that word because throughout the New Testament, Paul spoke of the church as the body of Christ. And we just talked a lot about identity uh, recently on Wednesday nights, and this is where we're going because for too long, the church has made a separation between the church and Jesus. And we have to quit making that separation. We have to put the two as one. You know, we said on Christmas Day that, you know, we always talk about Jesus as being the answer. Jesus is the hope of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. But where does that get any people? If I see a lost person dying and hurting on the side of the road and I say, man, Jesus is the answer. Well, thank you. But Jesus has been here 2,000 years ago, died, rose again, and went back to heaven. What can you do for me? Well, there's actually a lot I can do for you because I am now Jesus in the earth. I am Jesus because I am the body of Christ. I am the church. So Jesus here is talking about his church, and he says, my church, the church that is a part of me. Why do I have to make that separation? Because there's a lot of churches that aren't a part of Jesus. What do you call a body that doesn't have a head? Dead. <laughs> dead. If you don't have a head, you're dead. Anybody been to a dead church? I've been to a few dead churches, and I don't want to be a dead church. I don't want to be a part of that church. I want to be part of the church with a head. But you have to work in sync with the head. You have to be a part of the church with the head. And so just because you call yourself church, and just because you look the part of church and play the part of church, doesn't make you church. The only thing that makes you church is being connected to the head. That's it. That's it. The only thing that makes you the church, the church Jesus is coming back for. He's coming back for a church. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul said that he's coming back for a church that he wants to sanctify, set apart, that he wants to cleanse through the water of the word, that he can present unto uh, the world his glorious church. That's what Jesus is coming back for. Jesus is coming back in all his glory and all his rule and all his power as a king for a church. And not just any church, but the church, the church that is connected to the head. Go to Colossians. We'll come back to Matthew. So keep your finger there, keep your marker there, or you can just scroll back to it later on your phone or whatever. But in Colossians chapter 1, Verse 13, it says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son of His love. This is talking about what Jesus did on the cross, His redemptive work. Notice that He took us from something to something. Jesus never takes you from something and leaves you hanging. Jesus pulls you out of something and brings you into something. And if you're not into something then you may have never gotten out of something. But Jesus went to the cross, died, and his redemptive work was that he snatched us, took us out of the kingdom of darkness, and brought us into his son's kingdom, the kingdom of God. Okay, So he has delivered us from the power, the authority, the control of sin and sickness and disease and Satan himself. And brought us into the kingdom of, his, uh, of the son of his love. 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And he goes on to talk about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Still still talking about Jesus. Now watch this in verse 18. And he, Jesus, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence or first place. Jesus only goes for first place. He doesn't take second place. He doesn't take third place. He doesn't take last place. It's first place or no place. said a few weeks ago, he was that kid when you were growing up that if he couldn't be first uh, or if he didn't get to pick the team or be the captain, then he wasn't playing. That was Jesus. He said, I'm first or I'm not even in this thing. Okay? Jesus wants preeminence. He wants first place. And so he is the head of the church who is his body. So that makes us, the church, his body. But the only way that the body can be the church is if we're connected to the head. That's the only way you are my church, Jesus' church. Notice that Jesus is taking very personal interest in his church. Very personal interest. Why did Jesus do what he did for three years? Why did, he, why did he heal all the people he healed? Why did he uh, uh, calm storms and raise up dead people and preach the messages he did? And why was he such an example that, of someone that uh, didn't know sin, never knew sin, uh, didn't, didn't even sin, didn't commit sin? Why was he that person? Because he was raising up a church. Everything he did, he had 12 people follow him around everywhere he went. Why? Just so he could have a posse? Just so he have a, Is he starting a gang? Is he starting a new hangout club? We're, we're the new club. If you want to be cool, you come hang out with us. You call yourself a disciple? No. He's saying, what I'm doing, I'm only going to be doing for the next three and a half years. Somebody else has to carry on what I'm doing. That's my body. That's my church. And so his church, those disciples became the apostles and went out and continued the work that Jesus began on the planet. What's he doing? He's building his church. But in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he goes on to say something else. If we go back to the verse, we've already seen that to be his church, my church, means that you are a part of him. You are connected to him, not just because you call yourself. Look, the world has defined the church. The world is doing this today. They're defining who the church is and what the church should look like and what the church should preach and what the church shouldn't preach and what the church should allow and what the church shouldn't allow. But bottom line is he says that he will build his church. You know, right before this, uh, Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples. And he asked them, he said, who do men say that I am? 
Who, who do men say that I am? Jesus isn't, he's not an identity crisis. I hardly even think he cares. I don't really think he cares about what people think, what his disciples think. He knows who he is. He knows who his father says he is. So why is he asking the questions? He's showing no matter what anybody else says about you, the only thing that matters is what your father says about you. And so now he's identifying the church, and he's letting them know, this is who you are. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. You have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That's who you are, no matter what anybody else says about you. This is one of the most trying times for the church, because the church is trying to find its way in a world that's lost, and we're trying to figure out how to reach people. I mean, one of the most common words that I hear when I go to conferences or I listen to other ministers talk, one of the most common words I hear is the word relevant. How can we be relevant? There's nothing more relevant than this. This thing doesn't change yesterday, today, and forever. How did Jesus, how was Jesus relevant? How was Jesus, and, and so we've got schemes and we've got uh, boards and we've got uh, uh, all kinds of stuff that is just out there to try to help us be more relevant to the world. And so we get the lights and we get the media and we get the videos and we get the, the music and uh, we try to bring everything to sound like what the world would want to hear if they walked in here. You know what's relevant is preaching the word of God and preaching the truth of the word of God, seeing signs and wonders take place. You know what's relevant to a deaf man? Getting his hearing back. You know what's relevant to a blind man? Seeing again. You know what's relevant to a lame man? Walking again. You know what's relevant to a family that just lost their son? Raising him back to, uh, from the dead and seeing him live again. You know what's relevant to a person with cancer? Not having cancer anymore. You know what's relevant to a person in, in financial struggle? Coming into financial provision. That's what's relevant. That's how you meet people's needs. And that's what the church is supposed to be doing. That's what Jesus was doing. That was his mandate the whole time he was on the planet was meet people's needs. Then you'll be relevant. But we have sacrificed the presence of man for the presence of God. <laughs> we have sacrificed. We have replaced. I'm more conscious about how to get this person excited and feel welcome and feel comfortable and feel good than what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our services. Look, I don't know all of y'all's needs, and I don't know everything that you need in your life, and I'm not going to pretend to, but I do know the Holy Spirit. So I can hear from the Holy Spirit, and if he gives me a word to give to someone that meets their need, that gives them a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge on how to fix a situation, I just became relevant to you, and I didn't need lights and music or any of that stuff. Thank God for all of it, but it's a resource, not the source. I want to go to the source. When the life is on the line, I need to go to the source, and he is the source. Now, look at the personal interest Jesus takes here. He says, and on this rock, I will build. Who's building the church? Jesus. I think some of us have, have kicked Jesus off the construction site 
and say, hey, don't worry about it, Jesus, I got it. But Paul called himself a co-laborer, a fellow worker, which means I'm working alongside somebody else. I'm not building this thing. I'll tell you right now, and I don't have any problem telling you that. I don't have any insecurity issues. I, don't, I can stand right here and I can tell you I'm not building this church. I have no idea what's going on. But I am working alongside the master chief cornerstone, the one who is building this church, and what he tells me to do, we'll do. Where he tells me to go, we'll go. What he tells me to implement, we'll implement. Amen? Because he is building this church. That is his personal interest. He says, I am so personally involved with my church that I am going to personally build it myself. That's awesome. That's awesome. Jesus is building his church. The question is, is the church that we're looking at today, is it the one he's building or is it the one we're building? And you can't build. His church won't be built without being in connection to him. The thing is, is if I am more involved, uh, if I'm more uh, concerned about my agendas and what I want this church to look like, what I want this church to be like, what I want this church to sound like, then someone else's agenda is going out the window. And I only want to be concerned with Jesus' agenda. He's building his church. Paul said, I, I, I plant Apollos. You know, he's watered. When they would go into a town, these teams would go in there and they would start churches. But he said, man, it's God. God's the one that gives the increase. God is the one who is giving the increase. And all I know is this year in 2013, I want to be his church. And I want to help build his church. And there are a lot of different agendas being thrown around. There's a lot of different ideas being shot around, around the world, across this nation. Uh, it, it's different. It's a different day and age. I'll tell you right now. For me growing up, uh, I, I grew up in church. But church was never cool. <laughs> church wasn't the cool thing to do. Now church is the cool thing to do. Did you hear the, man, the praise and worship music, man, it's off the chain. Man, they, man, they got these lights. Man, did you see that video they played the other day? I mean, it's, it's the cool place to be now. And I don't have a problem with that. But it should never take the place of what Jesus is doing. The coolest thing happening in church is what is Jesus doing? Because he's building the church. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is our agenda getting in the way of his agenda? I heard a, a, a minister say one time that uh, he fears that today the Holy Spirit could not even show up in a church service and nobody would even know. That's a dangerous place to be. Is we just had church and God wasn't even there. And can you imagine that? He should be in the thing. Which means have your way, Holy Spirit, have your way. I mean, I know churches right now that are time to the T, to the second. Praise and worship has 17 minutes and whatever odd seconds. The minister has 31 minutes to preach. And the altar call is you get two minutes for the altar call. And then we have this amount of time for it. I'm dead serious. That's happening. That's not his church. That's not his church. 
And so we've got to re-examine and redefine what does his church look like. He says, I will build my church. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. We see a little more about the church. And it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, <coughs> some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Watch this, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. See, we've left all that stuff up to the, we've left the working of the ministry up to the pastors, prophets, apostles, evangelists, and teachers. And I'm not saying we don't do anything, obviously. But there is an equipping of the saints to do that work. There is something that I am imparting to you that should, want, that should get you tomorrow morning to want and go do a work. Equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. See, we, we've taken the word ministry, and that means standing in front of a bunch of people with a microphone in your hand. Reading some verses and some cute little emails and poems. And that's not ministry. Ministry means to serve. That's literally what ministry means, serve. So what I'm imparting to you, what I'm teaching you, what I'm instructing you, if we bring in an evangelist, if we bring in a prophet, if we bring in an apostle, whatever, that should be imparting something to you for the church to be doing something. For the church to be going out and meeting needs. For the church to be going out and doing the work of ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. That means to strengthen the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now I know for some people that scares us. You mean I'm supposed to be perfect? Yep. That's what it says. But that word perfect isn't the word perfect like we think. Meaning spotless or, uh, you know, don't ever mess up. Don't ever sin. Word perfect here, that word perfect means mature, grown up. See, right now, my son doesn't know that when he gets to the end of the curb out there, not to go play in the road, not to just keep on walking. But hopefully one day he'll be mature enough to be able to get there and stop and say, wait, I got to look both ways before I cross this road. Mature means you're able to make decisions on your own. That's what mature means. Okay? So a mature Christian is one that doesn't have to go run into the pastor all the time to help with this and I need, an issue, I, I, I need this. Or A mature Christian is one that has grown up and is able to stop right there and take on the situation in who they are. And I'm not saying it's bad to go to your pastors and go to your leaders and go to each other. That's a smart thing. Bible says that uh, uh, someone who rejects godly counsel is stupid. That's what the Bible says. You're stupid not to go after godly counsel. But there should be a point in time where childish choices don't take place anymore because something has arisen within us and we have matured to the point of, you know what, I've grown past this. I know better. See, if, if, if Camden 
when he's 12, is still sitting at the table waiting for me to spoon feed him his food, we got a problem. Somebody has matured past the point, ought to have matured past the point of having to be being helped to eat and feed. And so now he's able to feed himself. That's maturity. So that's what this word perfect man, to the measure of the stature, watch this, of the fullness of Christ. What is the fullness of Christ? That means to be full of Christ. A church that is full of Christ is one that is connected to the head, that is in full unity with the head. Now, here's what unity is not. We have redefined unity. I got a million different pastors in this community that want me to unify with them, but unity and compromise are not the same thing. They're not. You might think you're in unity, but somebody gave up something. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is not compromising with you on how unified you are with him. He's not. His church is going to be one that sees his word for what it is and doesn't say, well, you know what, Jesus, I, I'll do that for you, but you, know, you, can, you can come off of this. I mean, I, I really don't like preaching about that. I don't really like talking about that. It makes people uncomfortable, and you know, I don't want people to leave. I mean, we're about people. We love people. And so if, if I preach this, people are going to leave, and that means I don't love people. So, you know, you allow me to not preach that part of the Bible, and I'll do this for you. That's called compromise. That's not unity. That's not unity. To be unified with the head means you strip yourself of everything you want to do, and you do everything the head wants to do. And you are in full reliance on the head. Full reliance. That's what this church is going to be. Fully relying on the head, Jesus Christ. He makes the decisions. Think about your own body. Your head makes the decisions. And it doesn't care, and it doesn't matter what your body feels like. There's no compromise there. When you're thirsty, you get up and you get something to drink regardless of how tired you are because your head wants it. And when you're tired and when your head knows that it's tired, it lets the body rest because that's what the head knows the entire body needs. So we have to get in line with the head. He's making all the choices. He's making the decisions in life. And there's no, there's no arguing. There's no compromise. There's no going back and forth. It's very simple. Jesus is preeminent. He wants first place or no place. And he wants to be the one making the decision. The fullness of Christ. A church that is full of Christ is one that is in full reliance on the head. Full reliance on who Jesus is. And that's who we have to be. That's how we grow up and mature, is we, is we learn to fully rely on Jesus. Let's keep going. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Notice it doesn't say every wind of false doctrine. It says every wind of doctrine. 
There's some doctrines out there that they may not be false doctrines, but they're a doctrine and they're not the true doctrine. We have to be a church that goes after the doctrine. I'm not a legalist. This isn't going to be a legalistic church, but Jesus is about law and he is about a way of doing things. And if you just do it the way he tells you to do it, everything's right for you. Everything is good for you. He's not standing over you saying, you better do it this way. You better do it like this. If you, if you mess up, then this is going to happen. But he does have a way of doing things. He does have a system. It's called righteousness. That is his way of living. That's his way of doing things. Righteousness. Being righteous. And so we have to understand that there are all kinds of doctrines. You know what they are. You've heard them growing up. Some of you have probably come out of other doctrines. Um, the word you're probably used to hearing is denomination. <laughs> That's the word you're probably used to hearing. But and, and, and we're not denominational. We don't claim a denomination because, to be honest with you, they all have problems. I just want to believe the Bible. People ask me, what denomination are you? We just preach the Bible, man. We preach the Bible, all of it. Oh, so you're like the Baptist church. No, all of it. Oh, you're like the Methodist church. No, all of it. Oh, you're like the Pentecostal church. No, all of it. <laughs> we don't just make a big deal out of one part of it. We preach the whole Bible. We preach all of it. We don't just preach salvation. See, there's nothing wrong with the salvation message. And man, the Baptists have nailed it. And they're bringing people into the kingdom like crazy. But what are we doing once we get them in the kingdom? What about the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live a better life than you did yesterday? Well, we don't preach about the Holy Spirit. Well, he's in the Bible, so <laughs> we have to preach about it. Preach the whole thing, all of it. So salvation, great. I receive salvation. I got no problem with that. But then there's more. Then there's more. So I'm not going to be one that's blown around by every wind of doctrine or by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. See, that's our job, to speak the truth in love. This day and age, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a foregone conclusion that you, you can't speak the truth and speak in love at the same time. Truth hurts. Well, then love hurts. But again, that's another term that the world has redefined. And there are, you know, teenagers in junior high that think they're in love with each other, but they are living off of someone else's definition of love, not God's definition of love, because God's definition of love has more to do with weight and patience and steadfastness and covering up other people. The world's form of love, they actually have a word for it. It's called lust. Lust says, what can you do for me? Love says, what can I do for you? Go find, some, go find some teenagers that are dating and maybe getting involved in some stuff a little too soon before they should be, and let's ask them the question. When you say, I love you to her, are you saying, uh, if you love me, then you'll do this for me? Or are you saying, if you'll love me, then you'll wait? So we have to redefine 
these words. We have to speak the truth in love. May grow up in all things into him who is the head, here it is again, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, every joint supplies, every joint supplies, every joint supplies, every joint supplies. That's the church. The church is a body where every joint supplies. You would know it if any part of your body right now quits supplying. If you try to get up from here and you try to go out the door and your left leg just says, you know what, I'm, I'm not bringing a supply anymore. I quit. And let, you know, let's break it down even smaller. Let's just say maybe this little joint right here behind the knee. Not even the whole thing. If it gets out of place. Anybody see Marcus Lattimore's injury? South Carolina? You don't want to picture it, do you? A lot of stuff got out of place. A lot of stuff got out of place. Well, guess what? He wasn't able to operate like he wanted to. The body was no longer able to function. Why? Because his knee got blown out. But yet in the church, when someone doesn't bring a supply or doesn't want to bring their part to the church, uh, it's no big deal. No, you are a part of the body. I remember Pastor Earl uh, challenged us a few years ago as staff, not volunteers, as staff, saying don't handicap the body. And it sounds so, well, I mean, you think about it, it's just me. If I don't show up, what happens? But you handicap because you are a part of the body. It may not be something that completely shuts it down. We've all had injuries that maybe didn't shut down our whole body or put us, you know, in the hospital or put us in bed. <clears throat> but it's painful and other parts of the body have to make up for what's missing. I mean, I broke my finger not too long ago, several years ago. It's back 2009. Broke my finger on my left hand. I happened to be left-handed, so my right arm is having to take on a lot of functions that it's not used to doing. Having to feed myself, having to brush my teeth, having to write, having to do things that I'm just not used to doing. And, and forget just simple tasks like putting on clothes, taking a shower, simple things that you don't even think about on a day-to-day -day basis. And this bone out of my whole body, this bone right in between here is what give, gives out. Seems so small. I mean, come on. That, that thing right there shut me all down, and it hurt. And then I had to take medication that caused side effects in the whole rest of the body. I mean, it's a mess because every joint supplies. We can't make small, and we'll get into all this over the next few weeks. Every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And watch what happens. Causes growth of the body for edifying of itself in love. God wants his church to grow. God wants his body to grow, both in numbers and spiritually. He wants us to grow as a group, be added to. But he also wants us growing up spiritually, being strengthened. And so this is his 
church. He says, I will build my church. He's taking personal investment in building his church. And there is a church that will be his. You go over to Revelations and you see that there were seven letters to seven churches. Wasn't a very good ratio. Only one church out of there came out good with the clean slate. Every other church, there was some kind of problem. One of them got spewed out of his mouth. Another one was lukewarm. Uh, 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 Another one needed to come back to their first love. Another one had just completely gone off churches. He's not talking about the world. He's not talking about the world. The book of Revelations was not written to the world. It was written to churches to prepare us for the end times for what we can do to be the church that is standing last. Not for the world. But we're not going to reach the world and we're not going to be the hope of the world if we don't even know what his church looks like. So what I have to do as a pastor is I have to go through and find out, okay, what does the Bible say about his church? And how does that look different from what we see the church looks like? For some of you, church may have been, uh, you know, going to Sunday school at from, you know, 9 to 9.45 and then service started at 10 and then you were out by 12 and you were at Ryan's Buffet by 12.30 and, you know, the little heat lamps are keeping your food all hot and warm and that might have been church for you. For some people, it might have been deeper than that. It might have been less than that. Whatever. But those are called church services. Those are church services. I'll tell you this right now. Church services are not designed, were never designed to be evangelistic. They're not designed to reach the lost. You were designed to reach the lost. We just saw that pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, they are given for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You know what you're doing right now? You are in school. You are in an institution that should be growing you up, that should be teaching you, that should be uh, equipping you and empowering you to go out and reach the lost. I'm not saying we won't reach the lost in here, because we will, but that's not the design of it. The design is to grow up the believers. But you know what? A lot of people have a problem with that today. And so they have uh, what we call water down the word of God. It's what we call surface. We preach surface messages that won't go over a sinner's head or maybe someone that isn't that trained in the Bible or, or, or uh, doesn't know that much about God rather than trying to grow them up. And so we have these huge churches running in the tens of thousands that are a mile wide, but they're an inch deep. They know that God sent his son to die on a cross for them, to save them from their sins so that one day they can go to heaven. It's as much as they know. It's as far as they get. We've got to go deeper. This is talking about, Ephesians chapter 4 is talking about a perfect man, a mature man, one that's not blown around by every wind in doctrine, one that knows how to speak the truth in love, one that knows how to be unified with Christ and be the fullness of Christ. Fullness means full of. If you are the fullness of something, see, I would not be the fullness if I was missing something. 
I would not be the fullness of a human body. I'm not the fullness without my head. And Jesus isn't the fullness without his body. The question is, who's going to be his body? Who's going to rise up and be his church? He says, I will build my church. I will build my church. I mean, look, look at what he says there. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail. Will not. Cannot. It's not even possible. Gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He says, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. <coughs> keys to the kingdom of heaven. That you will uh, have authority on earth. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That doesn't sound like a lot of what we see out of the church today. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this, because we just came out of a very tragic month in December. A lot of things happening around the world. I just got a, a news report that an earthquake just hit Alaska just the other morning. I mean, things are happening, people. Things are happening. And we can't stand around and blame it on the government anymore. Can't stand around and say, well, you know, trials and tribulations, they're going to come. Jesus promised. You know, it must be getting close. I, I can see Jesus off in the clouds. He's on his way down. He's making his descent. We can't say that anymore. We've got to start being the hope of the world. We've got to start rising up and being the church, but being his church. Being the church, not just going to church. Being the church. And so that's what we've got to do. And so I, I hope this year that we can kind of raise the bar, so to speak. You need to value church. You need to value being here. You need to value everything we do. I, I don't care if we're playing games and eating food or if we're in the middle of ministry. It needs to be a valuable time for you. This is church. This is the hope of the world. This is who we are. We've got to rise up and take our place in the earth. But it's not going to happen just because we call ourselves church, just because we have a sign on the front of the building that has the word church on it. It's going to happen because we own it. We become the church. We are living the church on a daily basis. The church should be going to your job every day. The church should be going to Walmart and to Target every day. The church should be going up into your houses every day. The church should be going into your communities, going to your kids' little league games, going and, and, and being a light in a dark world. That's who we are. That's who the church is. When we go to, to work out at the gym, when we go at, uh, to drop our car off to get an oil change, when we're getting a haircut, I mean, there's... I, I find so many ways when you just get out of how you can be the church and be a light for people. And I never even have to say, oh, I'm a Christian, here's where I go to church. If it comes up, great. Great. Be more than happy to have that conversation with you. And a lot of times it will because they're looking for what I have. Let me tell you where I get it. First of all, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Secondly, I'm in church where I'm being uh, grown up, being uh, matured up, being fed the word of God so I can be different. 
why do you have so much peace in the middle of anxious times? Why? How come you never get sick? How come uh, you, this never happens? How come this doesn't happen? How come your, your family is always doing so well? Because I have Jesus. Because I'm the church. I'm the church. I'm here to make a difference. I'm not, that's not cocky. That's not arrogant. That's not I'm better than you. If you were to run into someone, you being a saved person, and they were unsaved, and you were telling them how awesome it was being saved, who in in here would think that's being cocky or arrogant? No, because you are living in hope, and you can help them, and you want to get them out of that mess. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. You have something they're looking for. You should live your life like that every day. I have what they're looking for. I have the answer. I have the answer. I am the hope of the world. I am the light of the world. I'm not the light that they can come to me and I can answer all their problems, but I know where to get the answer. I know where to get the answer. He's building his church, and we have to be dedicated. We have to stay true to be in his church. Amen? Amen. (laughs) I don't know that I want to go any deeper. Like I said, I want to be very methodical. I want to be very pointed with this series. And I could get into some more things, but I want to make sure that we are grasping and understanding every part of this message as we go, every step of the way. Because he is building his church, and I want to be a part of that church. Amen? Do you want to be a part of that church? Amen. Well, Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Father, we are honored that we have the opportunity to hear your word. There are people in other countries around the world that don't even have this opportunity and this privilege that we have right now. And so, Father, no matter how big of a deal it might be for some of us to have to get out of bed, get kids going, get breakfast, and get here on a Sunday morning or even on a Wednesday night, Father, after work, after we've had long days, tiring days, Father, we're just thankful that we have this opportunity to hear your word. Father, so many times we can do things that just become routine, become a rut. Oh, it's Sunday. I go to church today. But, Father, I want to I want to go deeper. I want it to be a different level. I want it to be more meaningful. I want it to have significance in my life. I don't want to go to church one Sunday with the same expectation I had the week before. I want to come with something with the newness, with an excitement, with a drawing. And Father, I'm excited this morning and I'm honored to be able to lead your people, the most important thing to you, and that is your church. Father, this year in 2013, I don't profess to know everything and to profess to know exactly what you want us to do, but Father, I thank you by your Holy Spirit that you're leading me and you're guiding me. You give me your wisdom and your strength. 
to carry on with this assignment, to carry on with this purpose. Father, every individual here, every person here that is committed, hooked up uh, with this vision, with the work that you're doing in this city, Father, help us grasp the revelation of what we're doing on a daily basis. Father, help us, help reveal to us the life that you want us to live so we can help others find the life that you want them to live. Father, everything we do here, it's not about us. We receive benefits and there are promises that come to us for being hooked up with your church, being a part of your body. But Father, in this next year, may we become so committed to the vision. May we become so committed to the work that you're doing in and through us. That nothing else takes first place. And it won't just be lip service. It won't just be, oh, I'm a Christian. I, I go to church. I, I do that. But Father, it will become so real to us. It becomes so alive within us. We'll tell everybody that we know about what you're doing here. Father, every entity of this church, every ministry, every event, every children's service, every youth service, every outreach, every worship experience, every fellowship, every men's meeting, women's meeting, marriage meeting, mom squad, Vacation Bible school, everything, Father, that we do. Father, I pray it is for your glory. You get all the glory. You get all the praise. Father, I pray that every person that walks through these doors, every service, they come into contact with the love of God. I don't know what people have gone through between Monday and Saturday. I don't know what things are weighing on people's lives, but you do. You know how to meet their needs. So, Father, I pray that they just come into contact with who you are. You're their creator. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. Father, I pray that we stir up people. We put a desire within people to to live higher, live deeper, not just go through the motions, but know you, know your love, know your peace, that lives will be changed, marriages will be mended, 
families will be restored. Addictions and habits will be let go of. That we won't live nonchalant lives that are barely make it by status quo. But we're always reaching for more. Growing. Father, I thank you for Anchor Faith Church. I thank you for this ministry overall. I thank you for Pastors Earl and Marcy Glisson. I thank you for the vision that you've placed inside of them. I thank you you continue to strengthen them as the head over this entire ministry. You continue to give them wisdom and direction and guidance in these new years, these new days, that it won't just become an old way of doing things, but there's always a new way of doing something because we're moving by your Spirit. We'll be bold to step forth, bold to step out, to walk by faith and not by sight because you are our provider. You are our source. You take care of us. You give us and bring us everything that we need to accomplish the assignment that is upon our lives. We take it with the utmost importance. We honor it, we treasure it, we value it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.